to Northwake Church. Uh, it's important to notice, as the kids' video pointed out, that the Gospels, with the possible exception of Mark's cliffhanger ending, but all the Gospels end not with the resurrection of Jesus. That's not the end of the story in those books. They always end with the sending of the disciples. In places like Matthew 28, after his resurrection, Jesus takes his followers up to a mountain and says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. That's how Matthew's gospel ends. And then Luke's gospel ends like this. Luke 44, uh, 24, 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you, Jesus says to the disciples, while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, the whole story of the Old Testament so far and the prophets and the writings and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed or must be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Don't miss the connection that Jesus makes here. Jesus says, it is written, or this has been the plan, the story all along, that what? That the Christ must suffer. On the third day, rise from the dead. And the story continues. It's not over. It's also written that repentance for the forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's part of the plan, part of the story too. As I heard one person say it, the message and the mission are connected. Jesus' story, your story, our story, and our lives and what to do with them are all connected. So that's how the gospels end. Not just with the, the raising of Jesus, but with the sending of the disciples. And you might say that the rest of the New Testament is the disciples figuring out the implications of the massive event that was Jesus' resurrection. Uh, it's kind of like the snap from the latest Avengers superhero movies, if you've seen those. There's this cosmic intergalactic catastrophe that sets everything else in motion. So now all the new Disney Plus shows that keep uh, extrapolating people's money, like mine that I keep giving to watch these shows, like WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, are all the fallout. People learning to deal with the fallout from that one climactic moment. And if you haven't seen those movies, I'm sorry, I'm a youth pastor, so I'm contractually obligated to use pop culture references in my teaching. It just, um, yeah. But the rest of the New Testament, the acts and the letters to the churches, they're all like the fallout from the good catastrophe that was the death and resurrection of Jesus. The New Testament is trying to help us come to terms with what in the world do we do now if Jesus really did die and come back to life? How must that affect the way that we live? So today I want to, as briefly as possible, I wanna to try to skip a rock across the book of Colossians to give you one example from the New Testament letters of how this plays out. And then I wanna talk for a few moments about a few ways that this will impact our church in the present. And I know for many of you that a lot of the things that I'm gonna to say today 
may not be new ideas to you. But I hope that you don't just come to scripture or to church gatherings to learn new things, but rather to reorient our perspective and our hearts because that's what we need. So three big ideas that I wanna show you from the book of Colossians, although you can find these in other New Testament books. If Jesus is alive, then God has an unstoppable plan. You have an ultimate purpose and the church has a unified mission. If Jesus is alive, then God has an unstoppable plan. You have an ultimate purpose and the church has a unified mission. So Colossians chapter one, verse 13, the apostle Paul begins to write about this unstoppable plan of God. Verse 13, it says, he, that is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus is alive. So what? What is God up to in the world today? Sorry, one second. Is anybody else living in the pollination, the nation of pollen? Get it, pollination. And um, so if Jesus is alive, so what? Put simply, it means that he is supreme. He's above all things. And God the Father is now exalting and loving his eternal son by transferring separated sinful people from a domain of darkness into his kingdom. And then changing them, transforming them into holy, blameless objects of his eternal love. God is migrating. There's a massive migration happening in history and God is moving people into his kingdom and changing them into people who will love and exalt his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, what is God up to now? He is making his church. And Paul calls this God's mystery or his secret. Um, chapter one, verse 26 says the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints to them. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles or among the nations are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This has always been 
God's plan. But no one quite understood it until the denouement, until God revealed it through Christ that he was planning to reconcile and transform people from every nation and to come to dwell in them. Christ in you. This was his secret and is his secret, now not so secret, unstoppable plan. So our world is not at the hand of blind fate or the result of uh, random material processes, or even an elaborate computer simulation, as some have suggested. No, the world is moving along through a saga, a story, a pre-written script that God has authored and is accomplishing. And your sorrows can't stop it. Your failures can't thwart it. Whether you know it or not, God will achieve his purpose of rescuing and transforming people from every corner of the world. It's his unstoppable plan. And he invites us to be a part of it. If he has an unstoppable plan, then you have an ultimate purpose. I mean, deep down, we all long for our lives to matter, for our brief existence on this earth to have significance. Isn't this what all of our great stories are about? As Samwise Gamgee says in Lord of the Rings, in the tales that really mattered, folks seem to have just been landed in them. Usually their paths were laid that way. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. Or as Ray says in the new Star Wars movies, which I don't really like, but I do like this quote. She says, I need someone to show me my place in all this. Ray is thrust into a grand saga that she doesn't fully understand. She knows she has a place in it, but she doesn't know what it is. And now I think I've legally fulfilled all my obligations for movie references. But, you know, we are all captivated by stories. But are you captivated by the story? Could it be that you too have been thrust into an ancient and grand drama? And at your core, you long to know your place. And Paul tells us that you do have a place in this mystery now revealed, this ancient drama Verse 28 of Colossians 1, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is Paul's mission in life, to proclaim Jesus Christ so that others would be made mature or complete. He toils for this. He struggles for it. He lives for it. And it's the same mission that Jesus gave his first disciples. It's no different for Paul and it's no different for us. We have a place in this story to be reconciled to God and then to join him in his plan and his work of reconciling the world to himself. What happens when someone becomes a Christian? Uh, Author Tony Payne puts it like this. He said, let's say your office mate Fred becomes a follower of Christ and joins a church. What is happening underneath the surface? Is Fred getting religious to fix some problems or addictions that he has or meet some unmet emotional needs? Is Fred embracing Jesus in order to be the best Fred that he can be? Is God there to improve Fred's life and make him more spiritual, loving, and upright? Is Fred receiving a personal relationship with God so that he can go to heaven when he dies? Well, what is going on is not just about Fred or in face even primarily about him. 
What has happened, amazingly, remarkably, is that God is continuing to move all of history, in this case, the little fragment of human history that is Fred, towards its final goal. Jesus is building his church, his congregation, his assembly, his great gathering of redeemed humanity that will one day throng around him in a new heaven and earth. And he is doing it one Fred at a time. And this is what we get to be a part of. God's unstoppable plan to reconcile the world one Fred, one life at a time. And yet even as Christians, even as pastors, we can so easily lose this perspective. And we fall into living with the exact priorities and goals as the world around us. We lose our love for others and retreat into our hobbies We really live to enjoy the weekend, to make enough money to go on vacations or to be accoladed or to send our kids to the best schools, to be secure and comfortable. And so Christianity becomes one of the balls that we try to juggle in life, trying to balance God and his kingdom into our busy schedules when our priorities and affections don't really look that different from our godless neighbors except that we're busier just trying to fit God in too. And so Paul writes and he urges Christians, chapter three, if Christ has been raised, if you have been raised with him, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is not a ball to be juggled. He is the Lord. All things were created through him and for him, and he is head over the body, the church. And so the church has a unified mission to prayerfully and patiently speak the message about Jesus to one another and to the outside world. There are many things that a church has to do but they all flow from the essential task of speaking the message of Jesus, the story about Christ to one another and to the world beyond us. And this theme comes up over and over in books like Colossians. For sake of time, I'll just show you three. Chapter one, Paul writes and says that you were saved by the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. This news is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Another way to say the gospel. And then in Christian interaction with one another within the church, Paul writes this in chapter three. He says, let the word of Christ, the message about Christ, the story of Jesus dwell in y'all richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We speak the message of Jesus to ourselves, to one another, and then as it regards those outside the church, Paul writes this in chapter four. He says, at the same time, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery, you know, the secret, the big announcement, the message of Christ 
on account of which I am in prison, pray that I would make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And then as for you, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So the church, everyone in the church, from the senior pastor to the newest believer, has a unified mission to prayerfully, patiently, wisely, tastefully speak the message of Christ over and over again to ourselves, to one another, and to the world beyond. Now again, for many of us, this is not news, right? You hear this sort of thing all the time around here. But is this what we are really about as individuals, as a church? Uh, Northwake Church was founded or planted uh, in January 1989. She's about the same age that I am. She's actually a little bit younger. I'm a little older than this church, so that's cool. And um, I've discovered that in my 30s, uh, it's time to start paying attention to some things. Uh, I feel differently now in my 30s after playing flag football with my youth guys than I did even five years ago. And I don't mean that I feel different in a good way. Um, I still tend to rely too much on the speed and stamina of my 20s, which is now uh, a time in the past. But the mark of a healthy person is that they do not rest on the health of their past but they are constantly pushing themselves forward. Uh, Ashley and I joined North Wake about eight years ago now, when we first moved to Wake Forest to attend Southeastern Seminary. And we joined North Wake because ironically, we thought this was the type of church one day we would love to serve and work in. Careful what you wish for, right? I'm just kidding. I really, seriously, I'm just kidding. We, we love North Wake and by God's grace, and by wise leadership, North Wake is a wonderful church. I mean, our, our lead pastor, Larry, longs for us to be a church for the sake of others. That's why we meet in weird buildings like trailers and old funeral homes. It's why we send people out all over the world. It's why we built this newer building, to be a church so that others could know Christ. We exist to reach the lost and to equip them to join with us in the process of becoming mature and ministering worshipers of God. And so two years ago at our 2019 annual pastor and elder retreat, the elders spent some time praying about what God might have in store for our church over the next five years or so. We began discussing and evaluating where are we strong? Where are we weak? What is good? What needs to grow? What needs to go? And through those discussions, the elders decided that we wanted to undertake a more thorough evaluation of our church and our community and to ask ourselves the hard questions like, are we still keeping the big picture before us? Are we clear on the things that matter most? Do you know what those are? Can we say those things and articulate them? And do we do them? Are we making an impact on the community around us? Is there anything we need to be doing differently? Now, we intended to start this evaluation process in 2020, uh, but yeah, everything in the whole world got torpedoed in 2020, including our precious evaluation timelines. But the elders are committed to this process, 
And so we've begun to pick up where we left off. And we wanted to do not just an internal self-evaluation of our church, but to get some other eyes on it as well. And so one of the tools that we intend to use to help evaluate and pursue health as a church is called The Vine Project. Uh, some of you may have heard of another book called The Trellis and the Vine uh, by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. I quoted Tony Payne earlier. If you've done the ministry internship or the ministry intensive here, you were uh, at least supposed to read that book. So, um, And Colin Marshall and Tony Payne are some blokes from Australia who have thought long and hard about the biblical shape of church ministry. And in a nutshell, their contention is that the vine, from the metaphor of the trellis and the vine, the vine is the essential work of every church member. And I've already kind of spelled that out, is to prayerfully and patiently speak the message of Jesus to one another. Every church member helps one another and those beyond the walls of the church take one step forward in their walk with Christ through fundamental spiritual practices like one-on-one Bible reading and prayer and homes, coffee shops, offices, on Zoom, whatever. This is vine work or what the Bible calls making disciples. And then the trellis is all the programs and ministries and structures and culture and traditions that churches have. And the reality is you need some trellis to support your vine. You need some Bibles, preferably in English for us. You need some chairs, maybe a place to meet. A guitar would be sweet as well. But if as a gardener, you spend all your time working on the trellis, uh, shoring it up, painting it, maybe even like draw some little vine uh, pictures on your trellis since there's no vine there, and you made your trellis look so amazing, but you had no vine on it, you have missed the point of being a gardener. And in church life, similarly, it can become so easy to focus on the trellis that we forget about the vine, the basic person-to-person ministry that we all share. And so the Vine Project is a way for us to take a look at our vine work and our trellises and to make sure that our trellises are supporting and not detracting from our central mission as a church. And so the elders read through this book. We found their model and their processes to be really helpful. I like that they're from Australia mostly for the cool accents, um, but also because they are somewhat removed from our immediate Southern Baptist and seminary culture. They live and minister in a culture that is much farther down the post-Christian route than ours, which I think will be helpful for us. And some of the guys behind this project, they help churches do the project. So they'll come visit at some point. So if you hear someone with an Australian accent, Uh, You'll probably know who they are. And we'll receive some coaching and guidance and input from these brothers along the way. And they recommend taking our church through five phases in this process. The first is re-articulating or clarifying our core convictions as a church around disciple making. Can we say what we're about together? Do we understand it? And then secondly, we want to evaluate our own disciple making practices as leaders So your elders and pastors want to evaluate themselves and say, are we living in a way that we can truly model this for our congregation? And then third, we want to evaluate our ministries, our different ministries and practices, their effectiveness in disciple making. Fourth, we want to implement new initiatives and or seize previous initiatives that meet or don't meet the disciple making demands of our church and our community. 
And then after all that's over, we want to maintain momentum for change over the next two to five years. Now, all that to say is we are very much in the early stages of this project. There'll be more info about this in the Northwake podcast episode that comes out this week. So shameless plug for that if you want to listen to it. But we wanted to go ahead and bring this to your attention as a church for a few reasons. Uh, First of all is we're going to be needing your prayers desperately. Your leaders need wisdom and much grace to lead our church because we will always do it imperfectly. And then secondly, we're going to be wanting your input. We'll be polling and querying and listening to the congregation along the way. So um, be praying for your church and thinking about these things because we will need your most thoughtful and God-honoring considerations. And as a way of increasing congregational input in this process, we've assembled a team, the Vine Project team, cool name, huh? Of congregational members and some elders to also work through the Vine Project book to give input and recommendations to the rest of the elder team along the way. So here's the team. I'm part of it. Uh, You don't need a picture of me, though, because I'm literally right here. But in addition to me, there will be Jake Mason, Daniel Creswell, A.D. Miles, Billy Vernon, Blair Savage, Drew Hamm, Jean McCourt, Jen Grady, Marie Burris, Matt Williams, Michaela Sheen, and Nate Williams. No relation to Matt. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, I didn't get to vote for any of these people. And, um, you know, the short answer to that is we couldn't handle another election this year. Um, (laughs) But no, the real short answer to that question is that we have a lot of amazing people at North Wake. We really do. It's an embarrassment of riches. And you might wonder, well, why wasn't I picked? But you need to know that the elders prayed through rosters and rosters of names to come up with this team of folks who deeply care about disciple-making and are doing it. And we wanted the team to represent as best we could our church's ages and stages of life. So I hope you're excited that we have folks of this caliber speaking into the life of our church through this process. So pray for them too. They're making a significant sacrifice of time, giving their prayerful input, and risking all the while that in the end their opinions may or may not prevail. It's a hard task. And then thirdly, as a church, we will be needing your commitment to love and follow Jesus all the while. We can have all the greatest ministry structures and organization in the world, but if we do not have hearts that burn for Christ, it will not matter. So don't wait, you know, until this project is over or gets going to be the church. Come to our gatherings, ready to serve and seek out others. Don't just come to receive or be fed, but be ready to take initiative to engage others. I mean, our congregation has changed drastically since the beginning of COVID. There are all kinds of people here you have likely never met. And if you're new here, you may feel like it's the established folks' job to introduce themselves and or build relationships with you. And you would be right about that. But they may not even know that you're new. So if you see someone you don't know standing by, especially if they're alone, say hello navigate the new difficult social terrain. And if you are an established North Waker, love on the newbies. I know we have a lot of flux in our church. And I know at times there can be this non-seminary, seminary gap in our fellowship. Some people call this townies and gownies, right? People who live in the town 
and then the gowns for graduation. Yeah. And it can be hard, you know, for the lifetime North Wakers to want to reach across that gap because, you know, they'll be moving in just a couple of years anyway, right? But do you take that tack with your children? You know, I only get a few years with them, so we may as well not get too attached, you know. You know, if we want to be a sending church that really supports the people that come and go and not just fling them out to wherever, then we have to get good at inviting temporary Wake Forest residents into our lives and helping them be normal people during seminary. I know it's hard. And being the church, of course, isn't just about what happens on Sunday. You know, with our reduced programming due to COVID, I've had many people ask me, and this is a great question, ask me, what can I do? I want to serve the church. What do you not, what do you need? And that's a great question. But what if the answer to that is, I need you to meet with this guy or gal over here. Sorry, people over here, I'm just pointing your general direction. What if, I need you to meet with this guy or girl over here. They're a relatively new Christian Could you meet with them once a week? Teach them to read and enjoy the Bible. Teach them to pray. Help them take one step forward in their walk with Christ. What if that's what the church needs most? Could you do that? Or what if the answer to that question is, I need you to invest your time right now in those with those in your life who are far from God. Could you start something for kids in your neighborhood? Could you write letters to the elderly in your neighborhood who are so isolated these days? Could you do that? And if you'd say, um, I might need some help with that. I'm not sure that I know how to teach someone else how to read the Bible or how to pray. I'm not even sure where to start with sharing Christ with others. Well, now we're getting somewhere. Because this is like the whole reason that pastors and elders even exist is to train, help, support you to do the work of the vine, the work of making disciples. North Wake is not just this building and it is not just our leaders. It is all of us who have covenanted together to be an extension of the person of Jesus to one another, the community, and the nations. Every Easter, we heartily say something like this. Christ is risen. And the church says, he is risen indeed. And indeed he is. But this should force us to ask the question, to say, Christ is risen. So what now? We are still living in his story. Will we play our part as a church? Will you play your part? Let's pray together. Father, you know that our attentions are often distracted and our affections are often divided from living for the one great purpose that you have for us here, to know your holy love, to be transformed by it and then to give it to others. God, would you make us a church that keeps the main thing the main thing? Send us with you, Jesus. And in sending us, make us like you. Make us like you, Jesus. And in making us like you, send us. May we be a church 
that loves you, that truly loves and enters into relationship with one another, and that loves the world and changes whatever we need to change, our schedules, our budgets, our lifestyles, in order to move towards the world in love. Make us this place. We cannot do it on our own. We beg you through Christ, we pray. Amen.